I'm incredibly blessed today to have so many of my very, very good friends and family uh, here visiting with us today. So I just, if you could give them a round of applause for coming. I just, you know, these are, <laughs> these are, these are folks, friends and family that have stood by me and, and walked with me through my life through so many of the things that I've went through, all the changes and career and then into ministry and just, you know, my teenage crazy years and things. And, uh, you know, they've just stood by me and they've just walked with me through all that. This was supposed to be a quick intro, but they've stood by me and they've walked through me with all that and I have with them. And, you know, so it's such, it's such an honor to me that they come to support me today. And I just want them to know how much I appreciate that. And, you know, how many times do we all know in our life where we decide to maybe make changes, we accept God in our life, God begins to change us, or maybe we want to go in a new direction, make some positive changes for ourselves, for our family, and it's not always necessarily received the way we think it's going to be received by maybe people or friends or relationships around us, right? Who can relate with that? It's it's like we begin to take those steps forward, and then the environments that we were so accustomed to being in, or the relationships and the people that we're so familiar with, it's like the landscape of the situation changes because we've changed, because we've made decisions to change, right? And that's not always easy for us to go through. And a lot of times we find that we start to struggle with certain relationships that were just so natural and normal for us before. Or we find ourselves very much out of place in situations or environments that we were so naturally in place before, right? We start to have difficulties and challenges with that. It's almost as if we feel that it would be easier sometimes if we just removed ourselves from those situations or those relationships or those environments, or just stopped being a part of things that we were before because we feel like it would be easier to just walk out these changes that we want to walk out or be the person that we believe God is now calling us to be. Just think about that for a second. Think about your own life. Think about some of the relationships that maybe you have you know, uh, going on, maybe people at your job, maybe it's different places that you are very much challenged with on a regular and routine basis. And if you're honest, you would say you've probably thought to yourself, you'd ask God or pray or just really thought it'd be a lot easier if this were just over, if you just got out of this whole thing altogether. Now, I see a lot of people looking at their spouse. That's actually not the idea that I had in mind. I'll give you actually something just as a side point. Um, you know, God spoke to me one time about when you're having some difficulty, disagreements with your spouse, your wife, and you know, you're trying to get through it. You're not seeing eye to eye. And he just shared something with me I think would be very helpful, especially for a lot of the husbands in here, to get through the situation. It's just kind of like a song, you know, that he just sort of like a little verse that he, he inspired me to, to sing in my own, you know, just kind of under my breath. And it, it goes something like this. Now, you'll never hear me sing again. I just want you to understand that. I'm not gifted in this area. I tried. I wanted to be a rock star when I was younger. It just, just didn't work out. But it goes something like this, you know. You just open the eyes of her heart, Lord. Open the eyes of her heart. She needs to see you. 
So I've managed to do two things. I've managed to do two very unprofitable things there. I've probably upset all the, the women in the room and obviously disqualified myself from any future opportunities on the worship team. But that said, we'll move on. So we have a tendency to think it might be easier for us to just remove ourselves from these situations, these environments, or these relationships. And so my question, my question to us today, the journey that I want to take us on, is what does the Bible teach us about these kinds of situations? If we're, if we're honest, we'll say that, you know, maybe whenever we make changes, we find ourselves being removed or kind of moving on for maybe 10 or 20 percent of the things that were going on in our lives but for the most part 80 to 90 percent of it seems to be a part of God's plan to remain intact and in place at least for the season that we find ourselves in when our heart is turned to go about making that change so what does the Bible teach us and instruct us about the other 80 or 90 percent of the situations, environments, and relationships that we're being called to continue to walk out and engage in and live our life in the midst of. So on that question, as we think about that, I want to begin just in prayer. Lord, I just ask you to speak through me today. God, I just, I feel you so strong in my heart right now and the message that you've given me, and I just pray that I get out of the way enough for you to speak through me and for people to hear I pray that ears are open, hearts are ready to receive, God, and that your word and your power shine through and that you do what only you can do, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of my message today is Among the People. If you're taking notes, Among the People. So first of all, what the Bible tells us about these kinds of situations, relationships, is it, it, it acknowledges the difficulties associated with walking them out. It's very clear. I mean, God comes right out and tells us, look, these things are not going to be easy. They're going to be tough. But at the same time, it acknowledges the difficulties in those situations. It does never at any point seem to give us permission on our own because of our own discomfort to remove ourselves from those situations. Let me show you what I mean by that. First of all, in Philippians 3.20, in the New King James Version, if you've got your Bibles, it says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in 1 John 5.19, it says, We know that we are of God, but the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So, we understand that whenever we receive Christ in our life, whenever we become a child of God and we accept Him as our Savior and we have our salvation in heaven, the Bible tells us that we're no longer citizens of this earthly world, that we're actually citizens in heaven. So it's almost like we're guests, you know, in a, in a uh, foreign place, which is a good thing. But it also tells us that the whole world that we dwell in, this earthly place, is swayed and controlled and very heavily influenced and dominated by the devil himself by Satan who has dominion over this earthly realm. So we know that there's always going to be a fight going on around us. In 1 Peter 4.4 4, in the New Living Translation, he says, Of course your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things, and so they slander you. But then he goes on to say in Titus 3.3, 3, For we ourselves, though, 
were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, and serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful at hating one another. So he's saying, look, yeah, you know, of course people are going to be surprised that you're not doing the things that you've been doing or that you're not operating or behaving the way that you have up until this point. Yeah, that's, that's, that's going to happen. Of course it is. But it's very careful to remind us that it's we that have changed. It's we that are going through the process of becoming more of what God is calling us to be. It's not necessarily that everything around us has changed. And, and God is very careful to remind us, hey, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where you once were. You don't look on those situations. You're looking through the lens of a changed life. And you're seeing that which remains unchanged as different. When in reality, it's only you that are different. And you that are changing. He says, look, we've got work to do. Yes, it's going to be a fight. But you can't stop and for, you can't forget that you were once in that place and where you once came from. He's just challenging that compassionate heart right off the get-go of our new and changed life as we move forward. That we never forget that, hey, the, the people, the environments, the situations, those were places that you were very, a very short time ago very comfortable in and very natural to you. Don't get the wrong mentality or the wrong viewpoint on those people, maybe where they are, or that situation because of what it is, how it appears to you now. Doesn't he? You know, the other thing it does is it acknowledges, of course it acknowledges the difficulties there, but it, it never gives us permission to really remove ourselves in our own flesh. God sometimes may do that, but in our own flesh doesn't give us permission to just remove ourselves from the situation because it becomes very uncomfortable for us or difficult to walk out what we think God's calling us to do in the midst of people or settings that somehow are warring against that new life, right? In Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13, we'll go there in the Message Bible. This is just when Jesus is you know, eating among the sinners and the people in the world and the Pharisees are just shocked by this. It says, later when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. When the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit and they lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher? Acting all cozy with crooks and riffraff and Jesus overhearing shot back at them. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what the scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. So Jesus, I love just going to, to the life of Jesus when you can find his own personal examples because that speaks enough to us of anything. And then we can just visit the Bible and the Old Testament and, and the New Testament after the life of Christ. And we can just continue to back up and support all those things that the life of Christ just reveals to us, right? But he's pretty clear about this one, isn't he? I'm not, I'm not here to go hang out with all the people that are doing great. I'm not here to put myself in a situation where it's easy to be me, where I'm not challenged. I'm, I'm in a, I want to be in a place where I can make a difference, where I can make an impact, right? You know, in early Christianity, when Jesus was on the earth, there were essentially two major movements that happened outside of the Jewish mainstream. Of course, the Jewish culture, many began to receive Christ, and a lot of them, he was very controversial 
because he was so much against a lot of the laws and the ways that they had done things, and they were corrupted in their own mind. But there were two major movements outside of the Jewish mainstream, and that was in the Samaritan community and in the Gentile community. Gentile basically just meaning non-Jews. And there are two really critical stories that are very popular in the Bible that we've heard time and time again. But you hear them, you know, talked about a lot of different ways because there's so much truth to take out of it, so much to learn from it. But the first one I want to go to in the context of what I'm trying to present to us today, which is what does Jesus and what does the Bible say to us about how we are to live among people and walk through this world in this changed life and through the purpose of what God has for us and still be what we need to be, be the salt to the, and the light to the world around us. And, and, this, and the first story is in John 4, the case of the Samaritan woman. Now, many of us know this story, okay, but just to sort of give a little uh, pretext to it before we get into it, you know, the Samaritans were a group of people that originally were a part of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then after the reign of Solomon, they essentially kind of rebelled and pulled away and ultimately ended up cross-marrying with the Assyrian population and they became known as the Samaritans. They started worshiping idols and basically just completely pulled away and derailed from the track that the Israel, the nation of Israel and the Jewish population had been on for all those years. And so in the culture, it was very, very much not just frowned upon, but it was almost condemned for a Jew to associate with anyone from the Samaritan population because they were so at odds with each other all the time. There were always little fights and, bra- and battles breaking out in the northern regions where the Samaritans still dwelled and part of the Jewish population still remained, the true nation of Israel. But, you know, what happens is, is that Jesus and the disciples are, are on this journey and they're moving around and they're worshiping or they're, they're ministering in different regions. And it says in, in John chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, that they're headed up to uh, Galilee from Judea. And that G- it says here Jesus needed to go to Samaria on the way to Galilee. And the Amplified, it actually says it was necessary for him to go there. It's interesting because there's a lot of different roads and a lot of different paths that could be taken to get to Galilee from where they were. And for the most part, if you were a Jew, you would have taken any other route to get to Galilee aside from the one that went right through the heart of Samaria. The people that you would say of all the peoples you were the most at odds with and the most lack in common with, right? But Jesus said he felt that he needed to go through there. Interesting point to take notice of. And then as we move on and we get into verses, uh, verse 9, we see that the Samaritan woman, she's, she's coming to the well to, to get water. And Jesus comes up to her and he asks her for a drink. And she's astonished at this. She's just shocked. And you can see in verse 9, she says, How is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? But Jesus proceeded to talk to her. He began to reveal the truth that he was the Messiah come in human form. 
right? God in the flesh, and that he was here to, to save the world, and if she would drink, that she could have living water that would provide for her, and she would never thirst again. And so she began to be, get the beginning stages of this revelation that he's the Messiah. But the important point that I want to draw out of this here is that Jesus appears to see past all of the reasons to avoid this situation. Not only is he in Samaria, he is talking to a Samaritan, but now he is a man talking to a Samaritan woman, so you take that to an even higher degree, and on top of that, she is a woman that has been living in sexual immorality for years, right? If you were a person in the world ranking different sins and degrees of sin that people are living in, she's, she's about as bad as it gets. But Jesus looks past all of this. He lo- it's not that he didn't see it. He's God. He knows everything, right? He knows the entire situation. But he peers past everything that's going on in order to get right up face-to-face with this woman and begin to just talk with her and speak to her and begin to reveal things to her that ultimately are going to change her life forever as well as a multitude of people after that. If, if we go into verses 40 and, 40 and 41, after she goes back to the community and she tells them about Jesus and what he said to her and this man, listen to what happens. So the Samaritans had come to him and they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. And then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So he goes out of his way to make a point to us that he sees past every reason to avoid this situation, to not have anything to do with this woman, to not have anything to do with this environment, this setting. And he, he not only goes, but he's, it says that he absolutely needed to go. It was necessary for him to go there. And then he goes, and he changes this woman's life. And then all of these people's lives in that Samaritan community begin to change because they come and they hear from Jesus. And what happens? They beg him to stay. They beg him to stay. See, Jesus was very controversial because of the message that he brought forth. And he was in very uncomfortable environments that many of us would probably find it much easier to remove ourselves from and avoid altogether so that we could maybe more easily walk out this godly life that we're called to. But Jesus doesn't do that. Not only does he go right into those places and be with those people, but the response is amazing. It's staggering. What does this say to us? There was an irresistible draw to Jesus. People couldn't help but want to be around him, to want to hear from him, to want to have a relationship and fellowship with him. They begged him to stay. And what does he do? He stays for two full days. Now, we gloss over that a lot of times and say, okay, so he hung out there a little while longer and then he moved on. But think about this. In two days, what are the normal pattern of things that you're going to go through if you're staying with some folks? You're going to eat with them in their homes, drink with them, converse with them. You're going to wash in their facilities. 
right? You're going to get to know their families. He began to just permeate his presence into the entire environment around him. And it wasn't, and there wasn't a person there, it appears, that couldn't help but want to be around that. He wasn't there criticizing the fact that they're worshiping idols, that their temple is not the temple of the true God, talking about all the things that they're caught up in that they're doing wrong. He just came in and he just lived and dwelt among them. And his presence and his love and his compassion for these people was enough to just break the ice and break the hard ground around the soil of their hearts to open them up to receive the message of the true and living God. And, and he moves on, and a multitude were changed from there. The Samaritan community begins to explode with conversions, and the faith of Christianity takes off for the first time as we see it in a, in a culture outside of the Jewish community. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. And it's all those people living among themselves, sharing what God has done with them. He only stayed two days. And then they all began to live their lives and be convicted in their hearts and live among each other. And the whole community and the whole population began to change. I want to go to another story. And this is in Mark chapter 5. And this is where Jesus cast the demon known as Legion out of the man and, and sends the demons into the, the swine and they run off the cliff, right? Pretty famous story. Let's start out in verses 1 through 5. It says, Then there came to the other side of the sea the country of, Gat, of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had, pulled, had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now let's pause for a minute and let's look at this. First of all, he goes to a region known as the Gadarenes. The Gadarenes is one of several, ten cities to be exact, in an area known as the Decapolis, which is ten cities or communities that were heavily influenced by the Greek culture, and they were known as a Gentile population. Non-Jews, not the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? He goes to this city called the Gadarenes. Now, the Gadarenes, in particular, was a place where there were swine, pigs, which to the Jewish community is filthy, unclean, have nothing to do with that. But it's also a place of the dead because there's tombs here, right? And there's dead people buried. So just think about this, right? Jesus, Jewish, pop, Jewish culture coming out of, what do you think the odds are that, that he would want to go or that the Jewish people would think it would be appropriate to go into a place where there are swine and where there are dead people buried right whenever they get off the boat and there's tombs and then here comes a man running up to them immediately, and he's running out of the tombs, he's lived in the tombs, and he's been persecuted by this demon. You see the, the point here, right? It's like the most extreme situation that Jesus would probably, if he followed tradition and culture, would choose to avoid and stay clear away from. But what does he do? He goes right up into the situation, right up into the scene. He goes right into it. The man was living among the dead. So this guy was dead. He was alive, but
but he was really living like he was dead. How many people in the world around us are the same way? They're hurting, right? They're dealing with things that are oppressing them and burdening them so much that they're actually living, but they're living like they're dead. This speaks a lot of things to us. Also, the man meets him immediately when he gets off the boat. How many times when we choose to change the course of our life or live the way God's called us to, right off the bat, is there an opposition that meets us right in the face, right in the beginning, that, that tempts us to maybe avoid or circumvent the direction that we're headed all together because it appears it might be just easier or more convenient for us to walk this thing out that God is doing for us. Right? Let's, there's this trail by my house. It's, it's an awesome trail. I love to walk it and jog it, and it's like three and a half miles. But it's, it's interesting because right in the beginning when you get going and you come around this first turn where you just walk and kind of warm up, there's this gigantic, huge incline that just goes straight up for like the next mile, mile and a quarter. I mean, it's right off the get-go. And you've got to tackle that thing right in the beginning, but the rest of the way forward, it's like you pick up steam, you pick up momentum, and you get, you know, that the juices going where you can really continue to move forward and overcome the rest of that. Isn't that a lot how things happen in our life whenever God speaks to us, challenges us to move in a different direction, to do something different? We immediately get faced with opposition, just like Jesus did with this man. He got immediately faced with a situation. He's in the country of the swine, a man living among the tombs. He's tormented by these demons that nobody else can figure out what to do with. And Jesus goes right up to this guy face to face. Doesn't avoid it at all. Let's move on in verse 6. So when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he worshipped him and he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, Legion is actually a Latin term, which basically meant 6,000 infantrymen in a Roman unit. So we understand that there are thousands of demons tormenting this guy all at one time. Jesus goes to the extreme situations to make points to us, doesn't he? Doesn't he go as far as you could possibly think to go? This guy's got 6,000 demons. He's carrying this burden that he was never meant to carry. How many people in uncomfortable environments, uncomfortable situations that we are tempted often to avoid or circumvent are carrying burdens that only God can deliver them from that they were never meant to carry? And we carry the Spirit of Christ with us everywhere we go. How can you think or even argue that we're not supposed to allow ourselves to engage in those situations in those kinds of environments to make a difference as opposed to giving in to the temptation to avoid them altogether because it would be quote unquote easier for us to do what we think we're called to do right also this guy is going through all this internal pain and and Jesus walks up 6,000 demons, and it was like the demons began to shiver and quiver just at the presence of Jesus. So 
what this speaks to us is that no matter what kind of a situation it appears is, is challenging us to avoid altogether, no matter how difficult it seems it's going to be for us to get in the middle of that thing. Look, if 6,000 demons are shivering at the presence of God, what is there that you would walk into that you wouldn't have power and authority over to have the faith and confidence that nothing can overtake you and nothing can defeat you if Christ that dwells in you is present with you. Same spirit of Christ that walked up to that man and those 6,000 demons shivered is the same spirit of Christ that comes to live on the inside of our soul and our spirit the moment we accept Jesus as our Savior. It's the same spirit, same power and authority. And just jumping ahead now to verses 18 through 20, toward the end of the story, you know, obviously Jesus delivers the man the swine, they run off of the, of the cliff after he sends the demons into the swine. The man is freed, he's healed. And in verse 18, they begin to get back into the boat and leave. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you, for how he had compassion on you. And then he departed and began to proclaim in the Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. Here again, the man begs Jesus. I just want to be around you. I just want to hang out with you. I don't want you to just move on, right? Jesus faces this situation of opposition head on. He confronts it. Every disciple in that boat probably didn't want to be there, didn't want to get out of the boat. What are we doing in this place? Jesus goes right up to the guy power and authority of, that's in Christ it's also available to us delivers this man sets him free and a result of Jesus just being in a place and saying to us that we go where, to those places that make us think we would want to avoid so that we can see the hurt and the, and the needs that are in, in place in those situations and then as a result this man and the people the, the man can't help but want to be around Jesus right he's begging him to stay with him but then Jesus says no I'm going to have you stay and live among the people that you live with. I'm going to let you be a testimony. I'm going to let you live your life among them, but I'm going to let what's happened for you on the inside and the life that I'm calling you to live, I'm going to let that be a witness and an example to the people that you've been living around for all these years so that many more can be impacted and be touched. Now, if we fast forward just two months in this situation, and we jump ahead to Mark chapter 7. This is the story where Jesus feeds the 4,000, right? Well, did you know that he was right back in that area of the Decapolis when that happened? Very interesting. He comes back two months later after, again, not to beat up this point, but going into a place where anyone would try to avoid and not be a part of, that he met head on, and he just basically walked right into the situation and let his life do what his life could do. He comes back two months later, and it says there's 4,000 people just following him for three days to just listen and hear and be around him. Is our lives that inviting to the people that challenge us in our situations and the environments that we feel Oftentimes, we want to avoid altogether. Our life in the midst of those things 
Is it that inviting that people can't help to want to still be around us, have a relationship with us? Or do we do it in such a way that just polarizes people? It just creates more opposition because for whatever reason, we just seem to have these struggles and these challenges and these difficulties walking out our life the way God's called us in these places and these environments that seem to be so challenging. Did you know that Jesus never at any point in all the things he ever did was his godliness ever compromised in the midst of every possible situation of hell you could imagine not one part of his godly life was ever compromised now we're not perfect we're flesh and blood but we have the spirit of Christ living in us when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and how many more greater things can we do how much more can our life be the same kind of example in the areas and the environments that we find ourselves in? You know, both of these situations, these movements that stem, this was obviously in the Gentile community, and we see the explosion of Christianity going from one person to 4,000 people in two months. And then the case of the Samaritans that we just talked about. You know, both of these situations exploded out of a personal relationship not a pulpit ministry very interesting isn't it Jesus never had a stage or a platform before he penetrated the hearts and the lives of people first and I would submit to you that that would be the case for us as well that our lives are the precursor to the voice the message and the things that we have to share that people in the world desperately need. You know, even this case of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, where we know that the Jewish man leaves Judea and he's, he's uh, or leaves Jerusalem and he's, he's headed out and he's overtaken by thieves and beaten. They rob him. He's left for dead. Two people passed by him first. It was a Jewish person, a priest, I should say, a Jewish priest, and then a Levite, which was also in the religious community and had religious duties. But then the third person passes by this Jewish man. It's a Samaritan. And he stops. And he's the one that loves on this guy, has compassion, right? And he associates with him and he deals with him. And he, he basically has personal uh, interaction and relationship with him. So Jesus goes above and beyond in these stories and many more examples because he goes to the absolute extreme to go to places and be around people and be in situations that most of the people around were looking at and saying, what in the world are you doing here? Why are you with these people? Why are you in these environments? Why are you doing these things? He goes to the absolute extreme to make a point to us in our lives throughout eternity that would people that would hear this gospel and read these stories to say, look, I'm calling you to be a light to the world. I'm not calling you to go in meeting rooms with the people that are all thinking and doing the same thing as you are all the time. And it's going to be so easy for you to talk about all the great things of God and what he's trying to do in your life. I'm calling you to spend the majority of your time having compassion in a heart to reach out for, for the world and for people around you that are carrying burdens they were never meant to carry because the answer and the key to bringing them to a place of restoration and freedom in their life is living right on the inside of you. What good is it to me in a room with other people that think the same way you do? 
Paul goes on to discuss this even further, and he instructs the church in 1 Corinthians, right? Listen to this, verses 17 through 24 in the Phillips translation. He says, I merely add to the above that each man should live his life with the gifts that God has given him and in the condition in which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. For example, if a man was circumcised, then he should not attempt to remove the sign of his circumcision. If the other, on the other hand, if he's uncircumcised, let him not become circumcised. That's not the answer. The great thing is to obey the orders of Almighty God. Everyone should stick to the calling in which he heard the call of God. Were you a slave when you heard the call of God? Don't let that worry you, though if you find an opportunity to become free, you better take it. And then he jumps on at the end of that verse, says, my brothers, let every one of us continue to live his life with God in the state with which he was called. Very powerful stuff, isn't it? Paul's having to teach the church about this, right? They're, they're getting the revelation of Christianity. Church leaders are starting to minister to people and things are really taking off. But man, Paul continues to hit on this with the church. He said, no, 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 no. See, they were wanting to like get divorced because now they were, had found God and their spouse had it. And they're like, I want to leave this person now. They're wanting to, you know, not be a Jew or the circumcision thing's going on. They're wanting to uproot themselves, move on, you know. He's like, no, 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 you're, you're missing the whole point. You're to remain in the condition, in the environments, and in the places that you were, that you were called to before I came and saved your, before Jesus came and saved your life, unless he chooses to move you on, but you're not to do that in your own flesh because you think that it's going to make things easier for you to walk out this Christian life and this godly life that I'm calling you to, right? So we understand that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. We've heard that a million times, but Jesus exemplified that for us to the highest degree. In John 4.40 in the New Living Translation, we just talked about that, but there was that irresistible draw. So living in the world but not of the world, is, it's not just that we do that, but we do it in such a way where our life is inviting and impacting to the world and the people and the communities around us. It's not just that we move along and with our head down or these scowl on our face like, oh man, this is just a tough place to be a Christian. This is a, you know, this environment is just too much. What is that? <laughs> you know, what is that? It's like the power of God is available to you and it's living on the inside of you to overcome adversity in any situation. These are the places I need to use you. You know, Jesus maintained his godliness in the midst of a lost world. Getting too far removed from the people that you're trying to reach is a recipe for failure. It's a recipe for failure. I remember I was reading this book one time, and one of these great, one of the great businessmen, if it was Rockefeller or somebody like that, you know, they would go around their company and their factories on a routine basis, and the, the owner, you know, and he would just go and he would meet people as they were working in the factory, and he would actually write out personal checks and give them to them as he was walking along. And, and he would just say, hey, you're doing a great job. I just want to thank you for that. And there was story after story of these people never cashing these checks. They would just frame the checks and put them on their walls. 
how can you really impact people if you're t- so far removed from them and you want to, you know, cast some kind of a message or deliver some kind of a, uh, you know, word to them from a distance? What is that going to really do? How is that really going to have an impact? It's just going to fall on deaf ears. You've got to earn the right to be heard. Having an audience is a great privilege, right? And being able to, to share life with people is a huge blessing. God is calling us to do that in, in pleasant and unpleasant situations and circumstances just the same. Because nothing about us and the godliness that has been deposited on the inside of us changes no matter what the circumstances around us that present themselves seem to be. You know, just kind of wrapping this up, we understand that Jesus had compassion for people. That was really what led him in everything that he did. He had compassion. He loved on people. He saw the work that God wanted to do in people ahead of time. He could see the purposes that were on their life that God had intended them to live out. Now, he was God, so he could see all of that. He knew all that ahead of time. But we are to walk in the faith and understanding that God has those purposes and those plans, and he intends to do a work on the inside of each and every person we come in contact with. No matter how they come to us or present themselves or no matter how the situation looks whenever we find ourselves there. We have to always see through those same eyes of compassion that every person in every situation is a work that God intends to do. And then finally, the ultimate example for me of of really just wrapping this up is, you know, the Jews, for the most part, all the way through the Old Testament, they lived among themselves and seemed to be more appropriate in that setting. They didn't associate with the enemies around them, other armies, other territories. They walked and they lived among themselves. Christ comes and changes everything. Right? There's a higher calling that's presented to us the moment Christ comes and does the work that he does. Think about this. He leaves the ultimate place of pleasure and convenience at the right hand of the Father in heaven to come down and live and dwell in a world of broken and hurting people, of sinners, because he had compassion on humanity and a lost world. How much more can we not leave our places of convenience and comfort and familiarity to be in situations and settings where God can use us and work through us and we can truly be the definition of salt and light that God has called us to be? I hope that challenges you the way it's challenged me in my walk with God. Many times I've been tempted to leave or avoid situations or circumstances. But when I get right down to it, I can just tell and I can sense God saying, this is what I've called you to do. I've called you to do exactly what I sent my son to do. And that was walk among people, live among them, and let his life be the salt that seasoned and tempered the environment for the message to come forth with power and take root.